Welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I'm Pastor Dave Rudat. I'm one of the co-hosts of this podcast about real life, living faith. I'm joined with Pastor Will Harley. We have a special guest with us today, uh, Mr. Brandon Steenbach, or we call him Dr. Steenbach. Or? Uh, not quite yet. I'm, not I'm quite. still in a doctorate program. I haven't quite gotten to the point where not. you get to add the honorific yet. Sure. Uh, Mr. Stein, Steenbach is the staff minister over at St. Mark's up in Green Bay. And our topic for today is Confirmation Strikes Back. That was my my one that I wanted because I'm a Star Wars fan. And so we felt that when the first time we hit confirmation, it was a new hope. And now it's striking back because it's sort of like heartburn. (laughs) 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 Confirmation like heartburn, heartburn, the subtitle for today. Kind of gives me heartburn to think about. (laughs) I know, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We're getting ready for confirmation to be starting again. We're working on more curriculum, and it just hurts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a continuation on our uh, confirmation podcast. Our last one was our last uh, one we had was confirmation memories. One before that we had historical confirmation. So now we're we're talking about how to do confirmation in the future. And so before we begin that, there is a disclaimer that we have to do. Uh, uh, Pastor uh, Will Harley, uh, myself, and and and, uh, Brandon are speaking in a conversation and uh, not everything we say necessarily represents our churches or our church bodies because we are just speaking off the top of our heads. We're thinking things through, we're trying things out. And uh, so they don't necessarily represent. So if there's something that we say that you would say to yourself, I'm not sure I agree with that or I'm, what did they mean by that? Or they, they're against the confessions or something like that. Please, uh, talk to us first before you start blabbing it over <laughs> on the internet. Uh, you can uh, email us, castingnetspod at gmail.com. We are open to correction. We are also uh, want to uh, talk to you as well and have a conversation. You can go to our Facebook page as well, Casting Nets. You can search for it on Facebook. And so there we go. Yeah, and if we do say something against the confessions, you probably should remind us that we did so that we can correct ourselves. I mean, that, that would be an important thing. I mean, if we say something bad about anything else, we really don't care. But <laughs> the but confessions not, are kind of serious, man. Not biblical and not confessional, <laughs> yeah. that would be a problem. That, that should be a problem. Yeah. And, and some red flags should at least come up. <laughs> right. right. All right, here we go. All right, so we have had those conversations as as Dave so wonderfully has has led us into that we've we've really talked about some of our own confirmation stories and some of the things that we do in our confirmation classes. We've talked about the history of confirmation mm-hmm. in an roundabout way. Um, I mean, we we didn't really get in depth into the nitty gritty of what confirmation you know its background, um, but. I know as reaction sort of to some of those those other previous podcasts, uh, you had uh, sort of reached out to us and said, you know, hey, um, we can have another conversation about where confirmation could go into the future. Yeah. Um, and and so 
um, you know, I'm I'm ready and willing to to give comments and and have the hackles raised when it's stomping on things that I I have done before and I don't <laughs> feel comfortable with. So um, lead the way, uh, Brandon. Yeah. We we welcome you to the show. Give us some information about yourself and sure. And let's go. Um, uh, just to start, uh, you know, Dave, thanks for introducing me a little bit. Yeah, I serve at St. Mark. I'm I'm family minister there, and um, I've been studying confirmation and just the whole topic for actually a, a long time. I was, before I went to, or I served at St. Mark, I, I served in New Ulm at St. Paul's. Uh, that was the first 11 years of my ministry. And uh, that's a challenging place to serve, honestly. Um, you know, you're, especially when you're a student fresh at MLC, you get assigned to the school where all of your professors are now your members. And <laughs> you're having to uh, uh, serve them well. But um <clears throat> Around about the last two to three years that I was there, we started actually studying confirmation really seriously, and we had a whole group of us that we did a self-study as to what we were doing there, as well as starting to read a lot of historical papers um, and thoughtful papers about what confirmation has been in you know the history, a lot of the stuff that you guys had talked about in that last you know last couple of podcasts here. Um, and what we kind of concluded at the end of all of that was that the best thing for us to do at St. Paul's was to um, probably uh, come up with a whole new system of how we do confirmation um, that was you know parent focused, parent led, parent taught, and uh, make a lot of other changes. And we after kind of putting that that idea together, we sort of sat down and we said, okay, how will this go over with with our people here at St. Paul's? And the conclusion we came to was, well, it, it probably wasn't the right time. You know, for them, that would have been a difficult change at that point in time. And so we decided not to make that change. We instead kind of said, let's, let's just hold the horses a little bit here and let's maybe sort of slowly work our way towards some things, maybe to make a little bit of improvements, but we didn't make a major change at that time. And so then when I came to St. Mark and it was, wow, they're already doing this parent-led catechism program. And I was tasked with taking that over when one of our pastors left. Then it was a chance to kind of say, okay, let's, let's go back and read through some of those things that, that were the basis of that original study. And what, what can we do at St. Mark to make this better? We're already, the, the, the ball has already been moved forward so much. So what is the vision? What do we want to get to? So I started doing some more research on this and actually reading some fantastic more recent papers, uh, one by uh, Pastor Rick Cron. He was up in Rhinelander. I'm not quite sure where he is now. We're having him next week. Oh, you are? Well, you know, that's great. Um, so he's got a fantastic paper on this. There was a paper by Josh O'Dell. He's up in Eagle River, and he, he had a paper that was about uh, the idea that um, saving, con uh, making confirmation the gateway for kids taking communion is actually, he kind of basically argued that that's not biblical um, and not confessional and that the fact that we do that is kind of a weird thing and that maybe we should consider making changes there. And that really, that really struck me a lot reading that paper. He makes a very sound argument for that. A um, couple of other papers that I read that just kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the fact that everything we do with confirmation, and I, I maybe need to make a distinction here. When I say the word confirmation, like, what do you think I'm talking about? Is that a question for us? Yeah, or is sure, that a for question you guys. For the, the audience, <laughs> well, both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we would we would answer it differently than our people would. 
sure. Okay. Well, how would you answer it? Confirmation is is just part of a bigger piece of a puzzle. So it's part okay. of your your teaching. Your uh, Matthew twenty eight talking about teaching all people, all nations, everything I have told you. So confirmation is a part of that. Sure. Okay. And, and I would I would probably resonate very much with what Dave is saying, but I would also say that that. Um, Catechism is different than so catechesis mm-hmm. is different than confirmation. Yeah, um, confirmation is. I've always approached confirmation, and I tell my kids that confirmation is is just a, um, a restatement of the beliefs you now hold. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I view catechesis as um, we are training you and teaching you. Uh, the hope and comfort you have that was given to you in baptism. That's that's what catechesis is. Yeah. Um, here are the promises that were made to you. Here are the truths that were instilled in you. Um, now you get to understand them better. Mm-hmm. Confirmation is you get to share that belief with us. Um, okay. And and so so for like for confirmation, we've had this before. For for confirmation, the way I've kind of dealt with it, um, working within the framework because a lot of congregations still like having the question and answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work within that framework and I just say, you know, this is, this is a confession of faith through question and answer. Yeah. So, yeah. so they get an, it's not a, I'm testing you. It's a, you get to, you get to hear their faith by their answers that they, that they're giving to you. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's that, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no. And, and what's interesting is, is that Dave, how you answered that question to me sort of reflects um, what is and not that you're the problem, but that, <laughs> that the, the problem I have said that he's exists. the problem for a long time. Well, and, and <laughs> I am the reason why there's a problem. I get it. I get what you're saying. As, I, as I've looked at the, you know, all of the history of this thing, I kind of came to the conclusion that the, that confirmation, not catechesis, but confirmation, the way that you um, uh, kind of defined it there, Will, is that um, that's, that's, that's a, I don't want to say a problem, but it is an entirely human invention based on absolutely no description or prescription in, in Scripture. Um, but that gets confusing if we define confirmation the way you did, Dave, which is if confirmation is the entire process by which we bring a child up in the faith, now, now it gets confusing, right? Because then people are like, well, of course there's a biblical basis for that. But I'm talking about the, the fact that there's this ceremony that terminates the process of catechesis. And that ceremony has historically um, so much of what forms the basis of it is actually false teaching. Um, it's been based on bad uh, uh theology and and people trying to come up with a human invention that accomplishes purposes that scripture never asks us to accomplish well and and i would be i mean and and i'm not saying you're you're 100 wrong in that but i would be very very leery as to say that it was based on false theology because there wasn't based on any theology well okay it was based sure. on I'll it was to that it, it was it was based on a on on an orderly practice that was misconstrued so I mean, you had a practice of of a bishop coming and laying on hands as mm-hmm. part of the baptismal rite. Um, when the bishop got too busy and was unable to make it to all the churches, it separated itself out to the laying on of hands and being yeah. confirmed. Where the baptism was then confirmed, where we got that idea and the name confirmation from. So I mean, it has zero theology right. with it backing. It's just a orderly practice that was separated out and then established as 
a, a point of reference in your walk. Right. But, and here's where the problem comes in, though, right, is that, that because of that, um, because of that misconstruing of, of what it is, it, it brought into it a lot of false theology. The idea that you don't have the Holy Spirit on you until the bishop lays his hands on you. Or that um, somehow this... Or it's a special gift. Yeah, special or gift. getting oh, sorry, a special gift, right, of, of the Holy Spirit. Or, or that, you know, in some way this gives you some kind of extra measure of God's grace when you go through confirmation. Well, and that was the, I mean, you know, our the Catholic Church predominantly, you know, viewed confirmation as a sacrament, that this was mm-hmm. uh that that this was more than just a uh, an establishment or a or a, a a confirming of the belief that was already given to you now that you've understood because they really didn't train their people back in those times. Mm-hmm. So this was a, another sacrament. And and I think you are you're hitting on a topic that I've noticed within our own circles and with all uh, Lutheran circles, to be honest, which is there is, I think, in many ways, people, not necessarily pastors, but lay people who believe that confirmation is a sacrament. Mm-hmm. That, that you know, bat, there's, there's three sacraments, baptism, confirmation, and the Lord's Supper. Right. And, and they believe that I have to go through, you know, you have to go through this confirmation rite and and so I understand I understand some of the pushback from pastors saying we need to teach this better. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, <clears throat> confirmation has served its purpose, has served a very good purpose um, throughout history. And Luther himself didn't dis, didn't throw out the the baby with the bathwater. Right. In, in the rite of confirmation. He, I mean, he refocused it, just like he didn't throw out um, the different parts of the liturgy just because the Catholic Church was using it. Um, there is a benefit to having um, sound catechesis and, and having an opportunity for those people who go through catechesis to express that before the members. And, and I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you on that at all. In fact, that's actually what we're trying to do at St. Mark. Now, um, we've kind of made a distinction in our language between catechesis and confirmation. We're doing that intentionally because I think the word confirmation itself carries so much baggage, um, especially for a church like St. Mark. We've got a ton of people who come from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have a lot of people who come from Catholic background. We have a lot of people who come from um, non-denominational backgrounds who, uh, or, or, or kind of general reform, different reform, you know, maybe, maybe Presbyterian, maybe Baptist, you know, there's just a lot of people who, some of whom did confirmation as kids. I, I was just talking with somebody the other day who grew up United Church of Christ and they do confirmation. But then I said, well, what is confirmation in United Church of Christ? And it was sort of like, well, the pastor gave us a year of telling us all of the moral rules we're supposed to follow, and then we made a promise that we would follow all of them, and that was confirmation. <laughs> okay, well, that... Well, isn't that the same? At... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, and... Except we spend three years because we're more moral. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Funny Sorry. thing, though, that's why... But that's... Right. Martin Bootser, that was his really his intention of, of uh, for how he developed confirmation was he wanted to show all the Baptists that... You know, Lutherans cared about morality too, so we'll teach them the Ten Commandments and make them stand up and promise to be faithful to Lutheran teachings, and then, then they'll be more moral people. So we're just like Paul, you know. I've, out of all of the Pharisees, I'm the most Pharisaical. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we're really good at this stuff. So we're making a distinction, right, between the two the two things, and saying what our we want to place the majority of our emphasis on that catechesis. 
But then where we're doing things very differently is we're not bringing the kids to church to have one of us on staff stand there and teach them, but rather we're equipping and training the parents, leading them through what they're going to be teaching their own kids so that they can do this in their homes and do so confidently. So <clears throat> I'm... That is an intriguing thought because it's returning to, I think, the intent of Luther and his small catechism, mm -hmm. that the, the small catechism would be a tool for fathers to teach their children. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I guess I kind of, and, and Dave, if I'm over-talking and you want to jump in, by all means interrupt me. I will. Okay. <clears throat> but, you know, there's a, there is a... I, I guess there's a responsibility that that I I think that pastors have as well that that confirmation is more than just the dissemination of information, but it is it is the relationship that is formed between uh, the the lambs of the congregation and their and their shepherd mm -hmm. that God has called. Um, and and I can tell you that in in my relationships that I've had with the students those would not have been formed without having those opportunities to sit there and talk about those, these things with these kids and, and go through that with them. Um, now, I understand the value, and that's where I'm sort of stuck, because mm -hmm. I understand the value of having, having the parents take an active role because they don't in mm -hmm. many cases, and they need to, and I think that's good. But I, I also think we shortchange, by, by swinging the pendulum too far, and I'm not saying you are, but I can see it happening. Swinging the pendulum too far that you remove an opportunity because we live in an opportunity or live in a day and age where families don't like pastor to come in anyway. Mm. And so pastor needs every opportunity to to be able to make these connections to the to the lives of his people. And we can do this in in, in a confirmation class, catechism class. Mm. I agree with the, that you have that uh, attachment with the child. But as you were talking about, you know, it's nice that the shepherd has an attachment to the, the little lambs in his fold. I was thinking the same thing as how how often throughout many years that I've t been teaching confirmation where I have no connection to the parents whatsoever. I have no idea what their faith is. And so a lot of times you're like, well, I'm teaching the kids. I'm loading them up. You know, I'm giving them the caffeine, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But their parents are have nothing. And I have no no idea. And so oftentimes what happens is after confirmation, then the parents are really still the, the spiritual head and spiritual influence over the child. So it reverts back to whatever the parents were. So I can see the wisdom and value in addressing the parents. So I'm really intrigued as to how you communicate and keep your parents accountable sure. in teaching this confirmation. Well, and, and oh, one sorry, of the catechesis, things, catechesis. Yeah, yeah. One of the things. Get it right, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it's catechesis, Dave. <laughs> you know, just as a side note, I, the the confusion, right, is because we call it confirmation classes because we're training kids to get confirmed. Which kind of feeds into that kind of idea that confirmation is sort of the goal, that, that if I can just get my kid confirmed, then I've leveled up as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I got to do that. I actually hear parents say that. They'll, they'll email me and be like, well, I know I need to get my kid in confirmation classes because I know that that's an important step in their faith journey. Right. They get plus two to their wisdom stat. Exactly. <laughs> right. And I kind of want to say, okay, but why do you think it's important in their faith journey? 
Um, you know, and then of course they post on Facebook things like, you know, on the most important day of my child's faith life. And I go more important than their baptism day or more important than the day they met, they meet Jesus face to face. Like those are pretty important, right? More than this. Like, mm-hmm. But, um, so that's where the confusion is, right? It's confirmation classes. So confirmation is the process, but actually catechesis is the process. Confirmation is the end result, you might say. Um, but one of the things that, that, you're kind of highlighting, Dave, as you talk about uh, the the relationship with the parents. See, and I've asked myself this question, like, and I agree, it's it's important for me to have a relationship with the children in my congregation, but it's just as important that I have a relationship with their parents. You know, this was a conversation we had at one point when I was in New Ulm. We were shifting from a a kid focused vacation Bible school program to a family focused. Uh, we called it um, family Bible nights. And what was interesting was the number of people attending was the same, but the number of children was about a third because it was a lot of people who were like, that doesn't sound as fun as just sending my kid for free babysitting. So instead I'm going to not come with my kid to this thing. And, but we still had the same number of people. And I had people who were saying, you know, Oh, you know, we don't have nearly as many kids. I said, yeah, but we still have just as many souls who we're feeding. And so can we have good? you can we have you on at a different time and talk about VBS because I think that would be a really good topic for just as a side. I, if I don't say yeah. it now, I'll forget. Yeah. But but because I that has been a topic I wanted to talk about for a long time. So sure. My anyway, secretary, but answer answer my question, <laughs> Brandon. Yeah. Uh, so um, so so I think it's important for us to have that relationship with the parents as well. And I have, I, this is a theory I have, I guess I can't, I can't point to a lot of data to prove it, but I actually have the thought that, you know, if I have a good relationship with the parents, because I'm working with them closely and training them, then by nature, I'm going to end up with a better relationship with their kids because I'm going to be their parent. The parents will be speaking respectfully of me in their home. Um, the, the kids will know, Hey, this is somebody who my parents know, you know, well, he comes to our house once in a while when we see them at church we sit and we have the conversation there and they still are going to develop a relationship in the same way that you know your adults develop a relationship with you when they come to church and interact with you at church right and presumably through the other things that you do so um what was the question that you had what's the nuts and bolts (laughs) of how holding your parents accountable how does that interaction happen between you and the parents sure yeah um we're still working on that as okay. the, 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 the real answer as far as how we hold them accountable. So where we've been, and, and understand too that I, I kind of was handed a program that was already sort of in the works as one of the pastors who got that started took off for California. Mm-hmm. So um, trying to kind of figure out what, what do we need to do to fill in our gaps here. So um, the first thing that we're going to be doing this fall is – before we get kids starting in the program, um, we're actually going to be training the parents through a basically a seven-week process where they come to an orientation, and in that orientation, they're actually being put into family cohorts. They're going to be grouped up with like three other families, and this will be their small group, their catechism small group. And uh, we call we call small groups in our church oasis groups, and basically it's kind of like we're we're putting everybody into oasis groups to just go forward with this. And then over the next six weeks, we're going to be having the parents come once a week to a training session. Each of those will be basically focused on one of the six chief parts of the catechism. It's going to mm. be 
what is this chief part about? Why do we talk about this one? What's important? What are the maybe the three key things that you want your kid to get out of your time going through this? And what are some of the questions that you have had about it? So that by the time you're done with this six weeks, you really have a clear understanding as a parent of the catechism. So <clears throat> this is going to sound, and, and I understand because, and it's going to sound weird because <clears throat> most of us maybe do maybe a 10-week course or an 18-week course for adult uh, Bible instruction. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you think about it, we, we take almost a year, you know, a school year at mm-hmm. least. So a couple of months, once a week uh, to, to run our kids through understanding the six chief parts. And now you're giving one class period, one a week to the parents mm-hmm. to run them through the chief parts of the catechism when, mm-hmm. I, I guess I guess my struggle is and, and, and I was leading up to a question. My my struggle and question is how how prepared are they really to to discuss these topics with their children on the level that their children are are, are going to need when they only have had that amount of of connection with it? Well, I assume that as as adult Christians, they've had much more than just that, right? I mean, they themselves, as adult Christians, have gone through this at some point in their lives prior to this, right? They've maybe been through the catechism classes, whatever. Um, maybe they did as as teenagers. Maybe they've done it more recently as they've come in, you know, into the faith through this. Um, they've been, you know, they've been in church. We're not. Maybe to be clear. We don't, we don't invite people who are just new members into this process because we want to give those parents the time to grow in some maturity. And if, you know, if you've got a, if they've got a kid, say, say somebody comes and says, Hey, we're, uh, we grew up Catholic We're we've all always been Catholic. We started going to this Lutheran church. We really liked it. We've decided to join, but now we want to get our kids into confirmation class. I would say, well, why don't we wait a year? That's okay. We, there's no rush. Your kid doesn't need to get through it right now. So <clears throat> what happened? And then, so let's play devil's advocate, you know, cause I, I think Dave and I have this and I'm pretty sure everyone else does. You have parents who let's just say their attendance in worship is less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want their kids to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, I, do you then say, well, you need to be in church more often. You need so you as a parent need to be coming more often. Uh, you need to be gathering in Bible study more often mm-hmm. before we, we equip you to teach mm-hmm. this to your child. Is, is that sort of the way that that goes? And following along, is that kind of a bait and switch mentality or a, or a law based Mm. you want your child to be confirmed. So if you're going to want your child to be confirmed, you have to conform to what I'm telling you to do before hit the bar. And I, and here the bar, here's the bar yeah. that you have to jump over before I will let that happen. Well, and, and I would say it's going to be more, much more nuanced than that. I, I, I don't want to, I'd hesitate to put a rule saying, well, this is what I would do because I'm going to treat every family individually. Um, and I'm going to say, let's, let's figure out where you're at and help you, help you to grow in the, the best way. And I, I wouldn't see it as, uh, well, you know, until you do this, you've got to do these things. You've got to meet these benchmarks and follow this bar. It's more like saying, hey, if you're going to do this well, if you're going to be able to engage in this process appropriately, um, you've got to be committed to this. And, and that commitment has to come through, including, you know, you understanding, growing in your wisdom and faith and knowledge so that you can pass that on. And I want to be clear, it's that six weeks of, of training for the parents, it's not like that's the end of their training. Um, they're going to be 
uh, sticking with that small group that we create, that's, that's the small group that they go through the rest of the program with. And we've created a whole set of materials that are intended for the family to lead in the home that goes through the catechism. And a family that is devoted to it, doing it an hour a week would probably take about uh, 60 hours we figured out to get through the whole process. So an hour a week would take them just over a year of going through that. So you've got parents, they go through the seven-week training process. They get plugged into a small group. We're actually creating a year's worth, 52 weeks with Luther, we're calling it, which is um, basically it's based on that 19 minutes Bible study with Luther. Um, We're going to have discussion guides for the parents to get together with their small group as parents week after week for the next year, talking through the catechism in small chunks. And as they're doing that, they've got access then to our uh, training program that is the catechism materials aimed at their family and teaching their kids through it. And, you know, there's that old adage, right, that you learn best when you teach something. So the parents are actually going into the materials with their kids and walking through it with them. So even though you might say, well, you know, is six weeks enough for them to be fully prepared to teach this? Well, maybe, maybe not. It sort of depends on the, the parent, right? But the reality is that they're sitting down with their kids going through the catechism and all of the explanations to it that we've added, all of the extra scaffolding around it that we've created in our curriculum. And so by the time they've gone through that with their kids, walking alongside their kids, you know, they as parents are learning it again. Their kids are learning it. We have, um, you know, video resources that go with that that includes us talking to a camera and explaining certain concepts or using other video resources that we have access to. So it's, it's you know, it, it, there there's a whole system involved here. And it's what we're not doing, and maybe it's, you know, this is the impression, is that we're saying to the parents, here's a catechism, here's a Bible, here's six weeks of training, now you go and do, right? We're not doing that. So um, how, how often do you check in on all of these small groups? Because I can see the value of the mm-hmm. small groups where the parents can get together and say, how is it going with you? How is the memory work going? How is, you know, does your kid, whatever. And there's a lot of um, fellowship opportunities. But where, what's your role? How often do you? So we have once a month gatherings where all of the parents are expected to come together at church. And we'll go through kind of like as a check-in with them and um, answer questions uh, give them some encouragements, kind of refresh on certain topics and stuff like that. So how do you evaluate as a minister how thing, how they're teaching their child? Are they teaching these yeah. things correctly or not? So the nice thing is that the system we're using for this, we actually have an online component to this. Um, we're using a program called Canvas, which is uh, an online learning system that a lot of colleges use. And when you go th- have them go through that, you can have um, basically like, they, pay, they read a couple of pages of information, watch a couple of videos, that kind of thing, and then take a quiz. And that quiz can be set up to be self-graded. They take the quiz and, it, you know, did you get the answers right or not? But you can set it up so that um, they can't continue on until they complete the quiz. And then you get to look at it and say, okay, how did they do with the quiz? And so that's feeding me constantly. I'm checking in that daily to see how are our families doing? How are they doing with the quizzes? What's our percentages? You know, are they understanding this stuff? And um, each one of those answers, if they get it wrong, it sends them back to a different spot and says, well, you know, re- watch this video again, read this section again. That so kind of stuff. Is, it, is it question and answer on the Canvas questions, or is it just multiple choice, true, false? Uh, it depends. You can set up an all, a lot of different stuff. So um, you can make it true, false, multiple choice. You can make it 
fill in the blanks. You can have them have to answer their own. So I do have to go in daily because you can have them put it in your own words and then you actually have to go in and give them a, yeah, this is right or this is wrong. Um, give them some feedback, that kind of thing. So yeah, we go in there pretty regularly and, and have to give feedback to families. So <clears throat> just sort of backtracking a little bit, you used that 52-week, you said you had that <clears throat> Luther's instruction course, 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, is that what they are walking their kids through? So they're working on it with their kids as they're going through it, or is that just for the parents? That's for that small group to have a discussion together. Um, it, typically, it's going to be... Um, so is it on the lesson that they're supposed to be on with their kids that week? That's going to be a difficult thing because we're also um, breaking away from this idea that you have to get through it in a certain time frame. So it's very much a self-paced thing as a family as far as getting your kids through the process. And we did that partly because we're, we're recognizing that, you know, and you've probably seen this too, you have kids who are not ready, right? I mean, they're, they, you, you're, you're, you're trying to keep up with the lessons and like this kid is just not there yet. And they get to close to confirmation and you're thinking, how do I... How do I navigate this, right? This kid probably is not mature enough, doesn't understand enough. I can lower the bar so that he can pass so that his grandma's not upset at me because he's not getting confirmed at the end of his eighth grade year. But, um, you know, that doesn't seem like that's good. So how do I spend extra time on this? What if we just take away the barrier of time and say, now you as a family have the flexibility to move through this at a time that works with you? Um, So that would be... That would make it difficult to say, okay, your small group has to line up with all the kids in your group who are going through it at exactly the right pace. But I think that over time what we're going to find is kind of an organic settling in where, yeah, the things that they're going through in that 52 weeks are are de- sort of laid out in the same order as everything they would be going through in the online program and that families will kind of find their pace as they go through um, ideally, actually, I would say it would be ideal if this small group is just maybe a few topics ahead so that they've gotten a little bit of time to talk about it as before they get to it with their kids. And that, that makes sense to me. You know. Well, I guess, and so, again, I'm playing devil's advocate because mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily opposed to uh, either an approach like yours or a hybrid approach like yours um, with some tweaking. But I guess I, I'm looking at it and, and thinking, you know, the establishment of a confirmation class um, goes more than just, you know, having, you have one instructor who knows what they're doing, teaching, mm-hmm. things like that. There's also the community of believers that's being formed there within the class mm-hmm. um, between these this next generation of believers. Um, there's hopefully accountability that is being formed there between these these kids. Where does that fall into this paradigm that you're creating? So, so you're creating, a, and, I, and I understand you're creating or attempting to create a, a paradigm where where the the parents are held accountable to the instruction of their children. I think that's a great paradigm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against that. I'm a little leery about small groups that that don't have that they're they're looking for answers that they're going to disseminate to their children without a pastor being present mm. to give a little bit more guidance and and you know to to maybe give them a little bit more insight. Um, I mean, I have been surprised by some questions that kids have asked in confirmation class, and I'm trained. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean that I'm a little leery about that, but I'm trying to get over that leeriness and 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 say, is it just because? 
I feel out of the loop in it and I want to feel important. Um, I don't know. And sure. so I have to sort of search that one through on my own. But but the real big thing is is the community that is formed in this idea of confirmation. I mean, you talk to a lot of our elder members and they remember their confirmation classes. They remember yeah. they remember the people that they were with and 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 also they bemoan those that were confirmed with them who've fallen away. And and that's part of that the the church that that's part of what we are instilling in them in catechesis is that we are not an island unto ourselves, mm-hmm. learning these things and then going to the Lord in with communion and having this relationship with Him. But as we come to the communion rail, we are we are really in this relationship and in one belief with those who are gathered with us. Yeah. And and we, it seems and and correct me if I'm wrong or walk me through it, but it seems like we're removing that in the pursuit of another paradigm. Yeah, I would say no. We're not we're we're not uh, removing it, um, but we are changing how we approach that. And I I want to make a th- this clear too is if I was in a much smaller church, I might approach this differently. You know, if I had uh, on an average basis only you know three to five to ten kids, and I, I don't know what you've got here at St. John's in Maryville. I don't know if you you've got at your churches, Dave, um, but you know. Both churches I've served, the confirmation class is 30 to 40 kids, and that's just one That's one group at a time, right? Um, so at any given time, we have some 70 to 80 children that we're, we're kind of monitoring through a process, right? Um, you cannot create a genuine community of 70 to 80 people. What you're going to have instead is if you had them all in a confirmation classroom, there's no time to build community there. What's going to happen instead is there's going to be the little groups, right? You're going to have three or four or five who are friends and they're going to sit with each other. And that's the, you know, and some of them are going to be really great. And some of them are going to be the ones you're yelling at the whole time. Right. Um, So what we're doing instead by creating these small groups is the encouragement is that the parents are meeting with each other, but they're also getting together as families. And as they move through this stuff with their kids, they're not, they're, they're not keeping their kids separate. They're actually making their kids come together regularly as well. And so part of the structure of that small group is maybe every couple of weeks, okay, you guys are going to get together for a Bible study together as families, or you're going to go through some of the lessons together. Um, there are activities that are built into this where at the end of this, okay, this is your application activity. And one of them, um, might be, you know, you're going to go and you're going to serve, um, choose a local charity to serve together at. Okay, now you guys are going to go as a family and do that. And so your kids are going to be spending time together. Uh, a great example of this would be that my own two sons who are, are 13 and, and almost 15, um, they went through, we went through this process with them. And actually because um, it just made, I've got two boys, they're close in age, it made the most sense. I took them both through together and we had their confirmation right during the COVID pandemic when nobody could, you know, but we were uh, still gathering with our small group and our small group, all of those kids, they range from my son is the oldest in the group. He's almost 15 all the way down to, we've got a new baby in the group now. Um, and there are a lot of kids in between. They spend all their time together. When we get together, small groups, all of the kids are together. They're playing. The older kids are playing with the younger kids or leading them in all kinds of stuff. So when we did the confirmation thing with my boys, we actually did it at our house in our backyard. We had a barbecue and, um, you know, they made their confirmation, uh, you know, they went through that, that kind of um, profession of faith there in front of that small group because we weren't gathering as a big church anyway. And we had a lot of different ways we we're trying to figure out how do we do this. Um, and then, and then uh, 
one of the two pastors, Ben Workington, he was he was there and he he gave communion to the whole group while we were there. And so my boys got to commune for the first time with this small group. And I think they would say that, you know, my boys would say that the kids that are in that small group, that's that's a community for them. Those are the people that they really care about. And yeah, they're not all the same age, but as they grow up now, there's this there's this kind of wide spectrum of ages that are encouraging each other and growing up together. I think that's a really positive thing. I think that's powerful. So, you know, that's kind of how we're approaching the community thing. Because even if I I wanted to, there's no way I could create that community with a group of 70 kids in a classroom. Well, and yeah, and there's a definite demographic difference between our classes and your classes. I Mm -hmm. mean, even with the school, we're not dealing with 70 kids all Mm -hmm. at one Mm -hmm. fell swoop. Um, so I can I can understand that. Um, I guess one of the other questions that's just sort of hovering around in my head, and you you kind of approached it there, is is um, so is there a, in this whole paradigm that that's being created? Is there a a time where you'd say, okay, this is when this is when we start looking at confirmation instruction, catechesis instruction, catechesis. That's right. This is yeah. the time when we start looking at. Um, of good sound doctrinal biblical instruction and (laughs) (laughs) and we keep changing the term and and i believe we call it the catechumenate (laughs) (laughs) so is there is there a time when when like you say okay they're getting into the sixth grade age um you know this is the good time where developmentally they are capable of of uh, tackling these issues um, and, and learning more about these promises for themselves uh, that God has made for them. Um, so now is the time that we we recommend you you start looking at this. Yeah. Do you have that built into this? Yeah. Um, sixth grade is when we start inviting families to consider it. And we've actually developed kind of a short questionnaire that is like, is my child ready to start doing this? And it's, you know, I, 10 questions or so that's sort of like, if I ask them this this question, what kind of answer do they give? You know, just stuff to kind of, as a parent, sort of start assessing, is this child developmentally at the point where they can start really thinking about these things at a level that says, this is time to dive into this. Um, so sixth grade is when we start inviting them to do that. Uh, they they really have the choice at that point. A lot of sixth grade, you know, parents of sixth graders will say, you know, do I have to right now? I said, no, you don't have to, but I'm just giving you the opportunity to start thinking about it. Um, in my mind, you know, we've always done this thing where, where kids kind of start learning at around fifth and sixth grade and some churches don't start until seventh, you know, and some do two years, some do three, some do four. Um, so we're just trying to kind of hit that, that kind of average range and just say somewhere in there. But then the idea would be that they would be able to go through this at a pace that works for them as a family. And if that means that, you know, Hey, my kid's just, he's at the end of his eighth grade, but you know, as a parent, I just have a feeling he's just really not ready. I think he's not mature enough yet. I, I don't know. Do I have to finish this now? And the answer is no, you know, give him another year, let him grow up a little bit more, but don't stop the instruction. Keep working with him. That alongside that though, and this so is not, they would they would yeah. redo the instruction. Then they would start over. So every year you cover the sixty hours of teaching, or how that, that would really depend on the family on whether or not they're doing all sixty hours in one year, or whether or not they're stretching that out over a three year process or something like that. And they might decide to wait. They might decide to go back and review some things. Um, you know, the thing is that that uh, and how do how do how do you determine whether they should review some things or or is that something that the parent decides. That's something the parent's going to have to decide, yeah. Because, you know, once again, with 70 kids, um, you know, 
there's we don't have enough people on staff to sit down and analyze that with every single kid on a regular basis. But the usually parents, people use a test. Yeah. So how do well, yeah how does a parent decide my kid doesn't know the the third article? How, I mean what? See, so, yeah, maybe maybe to be clear, I'm not talking about a test, and I'm not talking about knowledge, because a kid can get all the right answers and not be mature enough. Right. You know, we've got plenty. I can tell you a hundred names of kids who were who could get all the right answers on a test to get confirmed, but they got confirmed and they walked out the door and they never came back. There was clearly a maturity issue there, right? Or, or a per- parenting issue. So there's more to it than just knowledge, right? We're not, the goal is not download all the knowledge into their heads. And now we've got Christians. It's we're trying to raise disciples of Jesus who actually understand what their role in the Christian church is. Right. And so our goal is, is not, just just impart information, but it's to help them grow up to be adult Christians. <clears throat> and I think the context for that, that's why we do this with the parents, is because the best context for training that is with the people that they're with the most often, which is their parents. And the best people to determine if this child really is ready is the, the person who knows them best, and that's their parents. So really, from what I'm hearing is you're moving... And this is uh, this is an interesting. Uh, this this actually makes for a very interesting discussion because you're shifting the. And I'm going to use the term gatekeeper, although I'm using that term loosely. Mm. You're shifting the gatekeeper not from the pastor and the council and the elders, but you're shifting it to the parents, and the parents are becoming the gatekeepers of the children. Now, I, did, I'm going to interrupt you. Sorry, I don't I don't want to interrupt you, but just to be clear, not entirely. And here's why: because. The parents are the ones who are the initiators, but they're the ones who are leading the child to the gate and saying, yeah, they're ready to walk through it. And then we're still acting as a gatekeeper, and here's how we do that. Um, uh, We still have an examination process. So at the end of all of this, they still have to demonstrate to us that they're ready to make this profession of faith before they're allowed to do that. So that's not... That was the part that I think we were missing in the... Yeah. And that's that's that disconnect that... Thank you. So how does yeah. that part work? So we actually have two separate examinations. Um, the first one happens after they complete the Lord's Supper module. Um, so basically they've got these things are, are broken up into modules as they go through the program. And when they complete the Lord's Supper module, the there's a questionnaire that is basically the examination questionnaire for are you ready to take the Lord's Supper? The parents take their kids through that first. So the parents are given kind of a guide that says, here are all the questions and here are the answers you should be, your kid should be able to give. If your kid cannot give these answers, go back and review, take more time. If your kid can, set up a time with us. Then they come in and they have to meet with us face-to-face and we sit down and we walk through that whole questionnaire. And it includes you know, understanding that you're a sinner, that you need salvation, understanding that Jesus is the one who gives that salvation, understanding who Jesus is and how it is he gives that salvation. Um, how do you make that salvation? Well, how does Jesus make that salvation yours? And then going into okay, what happens in the sacrament? What are you What are you receiving? How you know? How do you know you're receiving Christ's body and blood? What tells you that? What Bible passages show you that? And we go through all of those things. What are the things that you should be um, asking yourself? What are the questions you ask yourself before you receive the sacrament? What happens if you go to another church? What happens if your friend comes to church with you? We go through a whole lot of those questions and different scenarios and stuff. And once they're finished with that, then you know I have a meeting with the parents and say, okay, 
based on the answers they gave you and the answers they gave me in front of you, do you agree that they're ready to start taking communion? And they say, you know, yeah, I think they are. And I say, well, I think you're right. Or I say, well, here's where I'm concerned. Let's talk about that. And then we decide whether or not it's time for them to go to start taking communion. Then after that, um, if, if they're ready for communion, yes, we invite them to start taking the sacrament at that point. And, um, you know, in an ideal world, I would love to have one of our church council, or we call them our ministry governing board, one of our, our guys there. Uh, the reality is right now, as far as how we're structured, it would be difficult for one of them to be present at every single one of those, but I still write up a recommendation so that it can go to those guys and say, this person, this this student has shown that they're ready and we've reviewed that with them and they're ready to go. And they've kind of put that trust in us. Um, so that's the first examination process. The second examination process before they make a profession of faith is kind of a threefold thing that they have to do. Number one, uh, they have a conversation that they t- have with their parents, which is essentially the, the exactly the examination we used to use where we'd have them come into the office and talk through it. Um, we always did this where we had basically 20 questions, and 10 of them were for the kid and 10 of them were for the parents, and we would ask them all the questions. What we've done instead is, and we kind of came on this idea with COVID where we weren't not every family was comfortable coming in. We were like, how do we do that questionnaire with them? And so what we did instead was we kind of tweaked it a little bit and sent it to the families and said, we want you to go through this questionnaire with your kids. And parents, you asked the, the, the 10 kid questions. <laughs> and then, excuse me, kids, uh, you ask your parents the, the parent questions. And then you're going to film that entire thing. You're going to put a laptop or a phone camera on this and you're going to film the whole thing and you're going to send us that conversation and we're going to watch through it and give you our feedback and let you know if we think that your child really is showing the maturity that they're ready. So um, after we did that, one of the things that, that I was struck by as I'm watching these conversations in family homes was, first of all, just the amazing maturity of our parents. I was like, you know, this is really great. You know, you were talking before about how do I know that these parents are good? This gives me that insight into their homes. And I'm usually kind of overwhelmed by the wisdom that a lot of our parents have. And I kind of have to step back and say, you know what, just because I've been trained in, in how to apply, you know, how to read scripture, how to teach scripture and how to apply scripture doesn't mean that these parents are not filled with the Holy Spirit because they are. And many of them are spending their time in the word and it's very evident. And so um, just very encouraging to get that peek into their homes. So we get to see that. And then the kids are expected to write their own um, kind of personal expression of faith. And we give them a rubric, you know, we want to see these kind of things included in it, but we want to see it in your own words. And so they write basically like it's a two-page essay um, in their own words as to what does what is the, the summary of the Christian faith that you've learned. And it, just, it walks through all six chief parts of the catechism in the rubric. And they're supposed to choose a passage and explain why did they choose that passage? What does it mean to them? And how are they going to apply that to their lives? And so they write all that up and send that to us as well. They also are expected to take a video of themselves reading that. I often tell them, if you can memorize it, that's really awesome. But they usually don't. <laughs> this was the COVID thing or this always? This was a COVID thing. Um, that was that was new to that, but I, I liked it so much I kept doing it. So we've done it now this last year as well. And then the, finally, the last part of it is the parents are expected to write a recommendation. Um, they have a parent recommendation form letter 
that has a spot where they fill in and we kind of ask them, explain to us in here why you think your child is mature enough to be ready to make a profession of faith. Give us some examples of how they demonstrate that. And so the parents actually write up in their own words why they, they believe their child is ready. And then they sign that form and they send it to us. So that's kind of the, the final examination process before the kids then make their profession of faith. It seems like you've, <clears throat> and, and, I, I, and I like how you've brought in the parents into every aspect of this. And I, and I, like, the, I like the instruction of the parents, keeping them, keeping them in the loop and instructed and things. I think that's a really good, a really good thing. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, a lot of this is, seems to be like it is, is, um, I don't want to try to put this circumventing the call of the, of, of those people called to be the oversight for the congregation. We would call them elders. You would call them the managed what ministry governing ministering board. governing board. Um, you know that that they are called to be to be doing these things. Mm. Um, and that that we seem to be circumventing and and circumventing is not the right word. I, I, for a lack of a better word, um, because I know that 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 the the parents have a call to be doing this for their children already, and I understand that. But the but when we call our our governing boards or when we call our elders, they are, they are responsible for the spiritual well-being of, of the people of the congregation and also evaluate those, um, those people. Mm -hmm. And it seems as if in this paradigm, you're cutting them out of the loop. And maybe that's the wrong assessment. And, and so, but that my gut instinct is, is saying, okay, so, um, well, not everyone from the governing board can be there and a witness of of this confession of faith at this point. And I watch these videos. Okay, do they? Um, you know, the parents write a recommendation that say they're ready. Okay, but the parents aren't called to be the ones who are are governing the the, the you know the this livelihood of the church. Mm-hmm. These other people are, yeah. and I'm not trying to say the parents aren't aren't supposed to be a part of this, but that's not their call that their, their call is to their, their family unit. Yes, but not to the, the governance of the church. Yeah. Maybe just, uh, this is a, a structural paradigm difference too. Um, because our ministry governing board, um, you know, uh, I'll put it this way. I, and I, I guess I don't want to speak too much for them. They have entrusted, to our ministry staff, the the oversight, uh, the spiritual oversight of the congregation, and they themselves often operate far more with kind of the organizational leadership. Um, it's still good for us to have them in the know, but I would say that for the most part, the guys that that are, that are sitting on our ministry governing board, um, they're they're full of uh, the Holy Spirit. They're full of Christian wisdom, but I, you know, I I don't know that I would say that they're sitting there. You know, saying, okay, I, let's, you know, I'm going to oversee. Um, now, maybe I should back up and even say, I, I don't necessarily want to go too far saying that either. Um, in an ideal world, St. Mark would have a whole lot more elders whose job it is to oversee the doctrine of our congregation. Uh, though I'll put it that way. Um, 
and I apologize. I'm trying to figure out exactly how to say this without. I want to. I, I want to make it clear. I'm. I'm. I, I. I appreciate the service of our governing board, and I, I don't want any of them listening to think that I'm trying to in any way minimize their role. Okay, but we have four guys on our ministry governing board for a congregation of over two thousand. Um, there's, well, now we just added two more. So, okay, we've got now six. All right. That's great. Um, oh, and I understand. And, and you're, you're facing the same dilemma that we all have, which is we have limited people who are willing to do right. the work. I, I guess I struggle with the, and, and, and maybe this is the paradigm mm-hmm. and, and, and that's why I'm struggling is because you're in the fledgling branches of this new paradigm and, and. And there's maybe a reassessment of of the of the roles that are within the church that need to be assessed. Without a doubt, there is some room for us to be. You know, we we would never say we've got this this whole process down. Um, uh, if I could 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 say what the vision is, I mean, if I my big picture vision for this is that from the time a a, a couple gets married till the time they're children become adults and leave their household they are constantly in the word right and that's all that's our dream anyway but that we actually have written up an entire um kind of staged uh feeding process where okay at you know at pre-marriage here's what you're getting at when you're first married here's what you're getting when you first are find out you're pregnant here's how we're going to equip you here when your child is ba- uh, born and baptized here's what we give you here are the gifts we give you and all along the way it's to train them to use scripture and to use the catechism as a devotional tool so that by the time their kids get to 6th 7th grade and they're pro- engaged in the process of now formally going through catechesis to get ready to make a profession of faith these parents have already gone through the catechism multiple times in their home with their kids and the kids understand it. Um, and they're, they're really just deepening the knowledge, not introducing it for the first time. So along with that would be, that's the, that's a big vision, right? Um, but along with that would be the vision that we would have many of these parents who would be also standing as elders in the congregation because they themselves are mature and, and have learned and have developed leadership skills and are saying, yeah, I'm willing to stand up and be an elder in this congregation. And now they are in this process. They become the small group leaders who are really helping us to make those determinations all along the way. And it's an organic process, not this, all right, here are the benchmarks, here are the bars, here are the things you've got to pass, here are the gates that we've got to you know open or close for you, but rather... Um, you know, as kids are growing, they're going through a process of continual growth all the way until they become adults and go and say, now I'm going to take that on myself and um, leave my parents home and start leading my own family home. You mentioned that uh, you have, you're giving communion before the 60 hours are over. Do you, have you seen parents dropping off in that instruction once their kid can be confirmed or what? You know, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wrong terminology. <laughs> but once your child is receiving the Lord's Supper, are you seeing a falling off? I know in our in our area we have a difficulty once once uh, Palm Sunday because Palm Sunday is that the mm, sacred yeah. day when this is when uh, confirmation happens. Well, then after that, then parents, especially in a public school system, uh, feel like this is, gives them license to not come and have their child participate in confirmation afterwards. Yeah. No, um, we're not seeing that at all. Um, in fact, what we're seeing is they sit down and they say, okay, now what's the next steps? That's usually their first question. That's part of my kind of rubric for the conversation is to say, here's your next steps. But before I even get to that point, they're usually asking, okay, what's our next steps? 
So they're, they recognize that being prepared to take communion does not necessarily equal them being ready to make that profession of faith, that confirmation profession. So they haven't, so there, there's been no drop off that we've seen. Um, so <clears throat> that actually brings up another question that rolls around in my head. Coming to the Lord's Supper is not just a fellowship between us and God mm-hmm. and where we receive God's gift, but it is the fellowship of standing shoulder to shoulder with people that we say we believe the same thing. How is that happening when they don't know yet what that belief or fully what that belief is? In, in other words, catechesis, I mean, the the the... the it is limiting in the sense that it shouldn't be the only thing that you should mm-hmm. learn. I, and I get that. But, you know, you're, you're learning the six parts, the six parts of, the, of, of, of what it is to be Christian and what it is that God requires of us. And, and I think there's a reason, and a very good reason, why um, in the Loki Communis and especially in, in uh, the small catechism and the large catechism, that Luther laid it out specifically placing the Lord's Supper and the and the and the the tackling of the Lord's Supper near the end of the catechism instead of near the beginning of the catechism. Mm. And, and it is I don't think it's because it's unimportant. We would all agree that. But it's because there's there's all these things that 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 are going into the promises of of the culmination of what catechi- or uh, the the culmination of what the Lord's Supper embodies that you get through these different steps. And, and, you know, I, I went back just to sort of double check my, my own thoughts. You know, I went back and I read the large catechism and I've, I've been working with the small catechism, but Luther doesn't give any indication that having communion before those things are going to be a better institution. He says that once those things are known, communion helps us understand those things better. Mm-hmm. Not that having communion first enables us to understand those things better after. So, I mean, he, it, it doesn't, and I don't think he would have done that in that paradigm because that would have been something that would have been completely outside of the, the norm within the, the, the circles in which he, he, he lived. Uh, the Catholic Church had a set time for First Communion mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know what I'm saying? So I, yeah. that, that would have been a paradigm he himself would have said, nah, I, I think that might be a little too far <laughs> you know, to, to reinstate something before we've had proper instruction but but i mean and, and if you look at and and this is what i'm trying to long story short what i'm trying to say is is if luther if luther thought okay so catechism is or i'm um, not catechism um the lord's supper is this vitally important thing that's going to be the key for us to open up our understanding of the ten commandments mm-hmm. and 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 what the ten commandments can do and the articles and the prayers um, and the petitions. If this is if if this is the key, first thing right out of the gate. But it's not. The first thing out of the gate is our having to cope with a, a, a very ordered Lord who has laws for us that impact mm-hmm. not just who we are by nature, what we should be, and and the consequences but also what we can be in Christ. And he moves from there to now let's establish who our God is. Let's establish what he has given. Let's establish the very cores of that. Then let's establish the church. Let's establish baptism, how we come into this. 
Now let's establish how do we come to our Lord and what do we receive from him in, in simple confession. Now that we have all of these things and how do we talk with him, now that we have all of these things at the very end, how do we strengthen our walk in continuing and understanding this? Here's the Lord's Supper. And, and, and that's, so I, I kind of, I, 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 I kind of question the early aspect Mm. of taking the Lord's Supper because you're saying to the, and I'm not saying that you're not instructing them. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm very impressed, honestly, with, with the paradigm that you're, you're placing forward. That's the only hiccup that I'm, I'm with some minor tweakings, but that's going to come. That's the only hiccup that I have because I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, for all, for, for 500 years or, or more of the Reformation, no other Lutheran theologian has said, Let's get you into the Lord's Supper, and then we'll teach you the, the the other core parts of the catechism. They're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna teach you the core parts because mm-hmm. that's that's vitally important. Then we're gonna strengthen you to continue sure. with the Lord's Supper. Well, let's start first of all by looking at what does Scripture say is a requirement for taking Lord's Supper. Those who are properly prepared, well, those who okay. can examine, examine themselves. Sure, right. So examine yourself without without the Ten Commandments. Well, so you're making the assumption that the kids don't know the Ten Commandments until they've been taught them formally in in a. I have to make hour. that assumption. Okay, and that's and maybe I'm I make that assumption in my current paradigm, but I have yeah. to make that assumption. And we're not making that assumption <laughs> um, because by the time our kids get to the point where they enroll in this process, already they've gone through this stuff they've gone through the 10 commandments they've, they've really they've gone through all of these things at some point then what's the purpose ways. of the rest of it De- yeah. deepening meaning so that when they stand up and they say i'm going to make this profession of faith it's not um i'm just reciting things but, that i've memorized but, but and so what's that what's after lord's supper in your 60 weeks what which part of the six so the the Lord's Supper. So okay, prior to this, right, our kids have gone through. I mean, every kid at St. Mark has gone through either our school or through our cross training program. Um, they've gone through Bible stories four times over. Um, the kind of the the key Bible stories, and they've been given the entire introduction to the Catechism through one of either cross training or through our LES. Mm-hmm. So they've already gone through the entire Catechism one time. Um, and so the the when they get started with this program this time, the first thing they go through is you know what is God's word and how do we understand it. Then they go through a section that is basically the, the sin and it's it's sin and grace we call it. Um, it's it's how do I know that I'm a sinner? You know what do the Ten Commandments tell me about who I am before God? And then what has Jesus done for me? His his life, death, and resurrection, and how do I become a, a, a part of that? How, how does he bring me into faith through, and we talk about um, the work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel and through baptism. And then they do the Lord's Supper module, which is the rest of the Lord's Supper module, which is what is the Lord's Supper offering to me? That's at the, the conclusion of that, they start taking communion. And then they actually go back through now again through the rest of the other five chief parts of the catechism. Um, so then it's Apostles' Creed, baptism, and... Um, uh, Ten Commandments, keys, and then Lord's Prayer, and then and they're basically they're going even deeper into those again. So it's they've gone through it by the you know by that point multiple times, and that's kind of the idea. But I'm going to go back to what you know what I said about you know what is what is Scripture places on 
the sacrament, the requirement that we be able to examine themselves. And then Paul explains what he means by that, right? The very next thing he says is, because whoever does not recognize the body and blood of the Lord is eating and drinking judgment on himself. And so he say, he explains what it means to examine yourself. To be able to examine yourself means to say, I know that when I receive this, I'm receiving the body and blood of Jesus and everything that implies sure. about it. And so then I would I would broaden, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, but then I would broaden that out and say, okay, examine yourself. So first of all, you know, we we know that that we know our sins and we know who we are as a sinner because of the, the commandments. Mm-hmm. So we have to have an understanding of the commandments. To know who Christ is, that's the second article. Mm-hmm. So you have to go through the second article to know who Christ is and and who He is as 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 He's promised. I, I would I would I would argue that you don't have to go through the second article to know it. You have to go through what Scripture says about Him, which is embodied and in the second article. The second article <laughs> is a tool for teaching right, that exactly. Right, and, and so so I mean, however you want to go about right. teaching that, you're still teaching the second article. Yes. So essentially, what and, and this is this is the part that I have a hang up on. And I, like I said, I'm I'm. I hope I'm not coming off as this is an attack because it's not supposed to be. That's okay. You can attack me. But, but I don't want to because I really no. like you. You're, I don't attack people that I like. Um, but, but this is, but I like the, I like the paradigm. I like what you're setting up. I think it's, it's very, this is this thing I hiccup because they're making the profession of faith by coming up to the, to the for, for communion. That is their profession of faith. So now, so what you're doing is, and, and this is to me, this is to me the, 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 the the part that doesn't connect is okay so we're we're saying here's one bar that you're going to make a profession of faith in coming to communion mm-hmm. here's another bar that you're going to make a profession of faith in so you're doing you're creating the exact same problem that you're trying to eliminate with the whole rite of confirmation which is this is a bar that is unscriptural mm-hmm. that we have to make coming to communion mm-hmm. is the profession of faith I am engaging in the sacrament under the understanding fully what I am receiving in the in the promises of God, and and by your own admission, they have already received that through all the, all this all these other years of training. They've gone through the the catechism. So to me, it's like okay, this paradigm that you've you've walked us through, beautiful paradigm, but it's non-use. It, it, it's it, it, it's 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 an extra hoop. To, to try to draw them in to a, a stronger faith life, good. I'm not saying that's not good. But but now you're saying, well, we're gonna we're gonna add these extra things here and, and say this is a progressive culmination. It's not. By the time they come up for the commu- for communion and engage in communion, that is their profession of faith. That is the profession of faith. I believe what it is that my fellow people gathering at the table believe. But children do that every Sunday when they recite the Nicene Creed, even though they don't understand everything what the Nicene Creed says or everything that the Apostles' Creed said. They say, this is what I believe, even though they they may not not have a full and complete understanding of it. But they don't come up for communion. But it's still a proclamation is what I'm trying to say. Right. There's 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 other examples within the worship service where individuals are proclaiming an agreement with something that they don't know all of the ins and outs of what it means. Sure. But but I'm not doing, and and I agree with you, but I'm not doing that in front of the Lord receiving his blessings to me and and then also confessing those those same things with that body of believers in that reception. The Lord's Supper is a is a fellowship that is vertical and horizontal, not just vertical. And so when we Which come Which is the same thing as a creed. The creed is also the, uh, it's, no, it's saying you're the, the creed is not a the, the creed is not a, a vertical 
uh, the creed is not a vertical. It is a horizontal. It is, it is, we, we, we believe God is not giving to us something oh, in the creed. Mean. Okay. Um, God is giving to us. He's part the of the Lord's conversation. He's, he's part of the conversation, but he's not giving to us. So what you're yeah. saying is because of a concern about a horizontal thing, I can't receive the vertical or. No, no, no. I'm not saying that at so all. I'm, not, I'm just not understanding then. what I'm the, saying the confession of faith is right. that they are already confessing their faith. They make that profession of faith right. by coming up there receiving the sacrament. By right. saying, okay, we're going to allow you to receive the sacrament, we are already saying you're, you've already confessed your faith. You know, maybe a question to ask would be, do I, am, I, am I making the assumption that before kids go through confirmation that they're not in fellowship with us? Well, that has been a long, I've actually had conversations with people where they say, <laughs> do we have degrees of membership? And right. that's what we're, we're a, a, a part of the, you know, do we have, we have baptized members and we have confirmed members. I right. know that catechized members, <laughs> communicant members, confirmed Communic- members, right. whatever. Yeah. I, right. I think and, and that is a totally different conversation, mm-hmm. but I understand mm-hmm. what you're saying in the sense that, that we have these, these things. And, and that's where I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling because I love the paradigm. I love what you're going through. I think that empowering the, the parents to be a part of the confirmation discussion is, is a great thing. But I think what you're doing is you're setting superficial bars, again, that you're trying to eliminate with the original paradigm of confirmation that we're currently sit, sitting in. So, so the future of what confirmation will be or the future of what catechism will be or, or instruction will be almost becomes a, a, a discussion of grades instead of a discussion of, I want to give you the promises of God, at which point when you are, when, when you have those established and you understand them and they are yours, we invite you to participate with the rest of the body of believers in expressing this in the reception of God's gifts to you in this physical way as, as he brings his body and blood to you, which is yeah. what communion is always intended to be. I, I guess I go back to the fact that that Paul, the, you know, you're saying we're putting extra bars, but I'm saying we're actually trying to eliminate bars because um, Paul does not give us the bar of you've got to be able to say that you understand all six chief parts of the catechism. Which honestly, I mean, that's arbitrary too, to a certain extent, sure. right? Because if if I if the expectation when I take communion is that I agree with everything everybody at the communion rail agrees with and has professed to, we've got a body of doctrine that goes way beyond the six chief parts of the catechism. Absolutely. And, and so, every one of them should know it. Right. So <laughs> so what we should be doing then is refer, requiring everybody to go through all of the uh, Book of Concord and I agree. be able to recite it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Okay, and and you know, and we'll see how St. John's and Maribel does with that. Um, and, you know, in a few years, we'll see uh, who's how many of your people have memorized it, but um, and how many of them are communing. <laughs> but no, but the You're point is, of the choir, I am agreeing. <laughs> uh, but but the point is just that what we're trying to do is say, okay, you know, our kids are in fellowship with us, and yes, we want them to understand certain things, but we're not going to place in front of them. A, a requirement for taking communion that scripture does not place. And so being able to say, I've gone through all of the six chief parts in a specific kind of um, process, I, I don't want to do that for them. But on the other hand, um, you know, Romans, Romans 10, um, uh, Paul says, uh, you know, um, 
that it's good to confess with your mouth what you believe, right? I mean, that's I'm summing that up. Okay, I'm not with your heart you believe, but with your lips you confess. Exactly, exactly. So, giving kids the opportunity once they've developed the depth of meaning to say, now I want to make a, I want to stand up and make a public. This is my voice speaking this, so that the people around me hear that. Um, that's also a valuable step. So I I think that to understand that that step of the profession of faith is not about, um, it's not about saying, okay, now you've leveled up to the point where you're making this, you know, now you're, now you're really confessing with everybody, but it's that giving that child the opportunity to take the step of faith that says, I'm speaking that out loud publicly, um, and we talk about when you, you know, we do have the conversation about that horizontal relationship with them. You are actually saying that you you are putting yourself with these other believers when you take communion. And we have that conversation with them. So. Well, and I'm not, and I, and yeah. I didn't mean to imply that you didn't have that conversation No, and that's with not them. what you were saying, right. But I, you know, and, and I agree with, you know, this this is the, the conversation that we have is, is you know, the, the small catechism is a wonderful thing because it, it does give a good summation of the core doctrines right. of Scripture. Um, you know, before, you, before the, the small and large catechism were written, we had the Loki Communis that was used for the instruction of pastors. Right. Um, I mean, so you have in the Reformation history a lot of these attempts to try mm-hmm. to instill information. I would say this is an argument of silence, in my opinion, but I would say that, that you know, that, that we are following a practice, though, of instructing first and then um, encourage, instructing first and then leading to um, something in, in the culmination of the Lord's Supper, again, an argument from silence, when we see Jesus in his instruction of the disciples. We see, you see a, a course of, of a three-year instructional period um, and then on the night he was betrayed, mm. he took bread and you had the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, that doesn't take place at the beginning of his ministry and say, okay, do you understand who I am? Mm. And okay, do you understand you're a sinner and I'm here to save you? Now let's institute. I mean, he celebrated a yeah. lot of Passovers before, I mean, three, <laughs> before, he, before he got to that one and he instituted the Lord's Supper. Why did he do it then? There was a time of instruction. There was a time of understanding, a time of coming to know who he is and what he is and the promises that he is fulfilling. And then he and then he gives the Lord's Supper and then he instructs more. Right. I get it. Very good. But I wonder if we put the cart before the horse by saying, nope, we're going to say you hit this bar. You understand that. And then we're going to let you come before the Lord and, and receive the sacrament and say you're in, in fellowship with us and understanding what it is that, even on a basic level, what it is that we believe, but you really don't because we're going to require that you go through the rest of this. And then take another set of questionnaires and two-page essay and a parent recommendation. That's another bar. That, that That's what I'm saying. Is is mm-hmm. So it's not, okay, now we are asking that you continue in your instruction and here's how we're going to do it and God go with you and we will help you along the way. It is, nope, we're going to require that you're going to have a questionnaire. You're, we're going to require another two-page document. We're going to require another parent recommendation. And then we're going to require you to stand up in front of everybody and go through this public confession, which you've already done because you came to the communion rail. Yeah, um, and... I'm I'm willing to think through what what you're what you're you're arguing there. Um, I guess on the spot, I'm I'm not sure how to, um, you know. Here's one thing that I will say though, Luther. You know, you you talked about Luther and and 
go back to what Luther required for children to be, to be able to take communion was that they could recite the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the scripture passages relating to baptism and yep. um, Lord's Supper and the Lord's Prayer. Yep. He didn't even require that they could recite his explanations to them. Absolutely, and I he agree. He only required that you could recite those things. And I that's what I have for my right. kids. Can you say, well, what about the what does this mean? Right. So <laughs> if you can recite right. those things, then you're ready to take communion. And he believed that kids could be ready to do that at eight years old. But he continue, He believe, he he still said that 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 instruction should continue beyond that to develop that meaning. And I understand, and that's right. and I agree. And that's where what he says in you look at his paragraph, I think eighty six or eighty seven in in um, the large catechism under sacrament of the altar. That's where he gets into saying, as they're being instructed in the meaning of the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, baptism, and and the Lord's Prayer, they should be receiving the sacrament regularly so that those truths are more deeply inculcated. Right, and he actually includes the adults and says, as you continue your education. Right, right. So... Depending um, on the translation that you you take, it's it's either um, in the in the process of or in the continuation of. Right, right. So that's Lord the large catechism. Um, I'd have to go back and look for the citation of this. It was in one of the papers that I was just recently reading. Um, Luther at another place. He's this is after I think it was in Rick Cron's paper actually. So Luther at one point, you know, he's really hard on confirmation. He talks about it as uh, monkey business and, mm-hmm. and mumbo jumbo and all that because stuff. because of the sacramental right. Yeah. But uh, later on in his ministry, he he assented to confirmation. Um, he said as long as it could be freed of all of its errors, which I would argue we've continually brought errors back into it. <laughs> I've wondered, you know, can it be freed of its errors? But he said, um, at you know, at a point in a young person's life, after they've been instructed in the meaning of these things, that then they should stand up and give an explanation, and then the pastor could lay on hands and confirm the person, and that would be enough. So... Um, the, the implication I'm getting from that is that he saw confirmation as a separate thing entirely from taking Lord's Supper. And that preparation for Lord's Supper still involved some amount of preparation, but that, that there was still more learning to go. And confirmation itself should have a second, um, let's let's make sure this person has but reached I, a level of maturity, of understanding. And I think in, in response to that, I think it came into the, because he worked within, he was not looking to upset the turnip cart and the paradigm that he was living in. Right. So it's just like me saying, okay, the congregations that I have been uh, serving, they like question and answer. Well, I don't. I personally don't believe that question and answer is the gate, the gateway to which whether you can take communion or not. Um. So, so I use the confession of faith through question and answer. Um. It, it removes that barrier that if they don't do well because they're nervous, they're still gonna they they can take communion mm-hmm. because they they've gone through this instruction. I know what it is that that they believe through this. They're they're other answers and interactions with me um, and, and the like. Again, I'm, I, I come back to it. I'm not opposed to the paradigm that you're mm-hmm. setting up. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, if, again, we're placing the cart before the horse and if you've already done the work of saying, okay, we've taught the catechism, well, then the, the fact that they've, that we, they've gone through the, the catechesis a little bit beforehand, they come for, for the Lord's Supper, that is their confession of faith. Mm-hmm. Mark it for what it is. And, and Luther himself worked within a paradigm that says, okay, we still want them to make a, a verbal confession. That's great, but th- that's something totally different. 
that that's outside of the the catechetical instruction that is that is deepening your life and walk with Christ um you know this is this is the this is the continued faith walk that you are now in because our parents should be continuing to learn the com- mm-hmm. the, the commandments and its understanding i'm finding in in church that i could preach on the articles every sunday and my people still wouldn't get it because they're continuing to learn. So, I mean, this is a... Even continu- though they confess it every Sunday. So the, we're right. all growing in our confession of faith. So just because someone is uh, receiving the Lord's Supper and making a proclamation of faith doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. They don't understand everything what their faith believes in because that's what they do when they were kids. They confessed the Apostles' Creed. They confessed the Nicene Creed. They confessed something that they didn't necessarily uh, understand, but they grew into that through the catechesis, catechesis of the church. Right. My question to you, Brandon, is after this catechesis or or process that you guys do, what is your next step for keeping your parents and kids in the Word? Yeah, so we right now we have um, a couple of uh, small groups of parents with teenagers who are they're, they're starting to multiply. So we didn't have a whole lot of great structure um, up until a couple of years ago. And uh, we did have a youth group activities um you know but a lot a lot of those and they're you know they're fun they're great community building opportunities but a lot of them are kind of your typical youth group gather to go laser tag get together to play games and eat pizza have a devotion that kind of stuff um you know and i understand the value of those things from a community building aspect um i'm not personally like i'd I'd much rather have a bible study with kids than, than those things but i think every you know, everybody who ministers to teens is like, you know, oh, why do I have to do all the goofy stuff to get them to get in the room to do the meaty stuff? But that's the reality, I guess, that we, we work with in our culture. Um, but we do have these oasis groups now where the parents are, are the ones who are, you know, initiating the gathering together. We provide them with Bible study resources that they're going through. And, um, you know, we have a uh, one of our pastors is our discipleship pastor. He oversees our whole small small group ministry, so he's checking in, you know, regularly too to make sure that they're, um, uh, you know, how they're doing and stuff like that. Um, as well as our youth minister, he also is involved with uh, communicating with them. Part of our future plan includes more of that, more of that, more of these oasis groups uh, with of parents with teenagers, but also um, a regular. Uh, opportunity for parents to come together with their kids at church and it would be you know parents of teens where we would have maybe <clears throat> kind of the, the model for this um, would be that they'd spend maybe the first 20 minutes together and we'd go we'd kind of introduce a topic and then they would split off for the next 30 minutes or so where the the parents stay for a discussion about how do you lead your kids through this and then the kids go for a discussion with somebody else who's going to help them understand it. And then they come back together and we kind of close and stuff like that. So that would be a regular gathering that, once again, hasn't started happening yet, but it's part of the paradigm. It's part of the plan. So you're shifting away from the youth group idea to more family. I don't know if it'll replace the youth group. Um, I, that's that's a question we haven't answered yet. But that's for what I would like to create and what we've talked about would be to really be a more parent focused once again youth ministry so right now they're both at the same time you have both the youth group and their small group oasis groups correct yeah both are happening right now yeah 
Okay. And, and that's a good paradigm. I mean, I, I'm again, I, I like what's going on in the sense of equipping parents, and and because I think you run into the run into the problem where most of the time parents will just drop their kids off and leave, um, and and there's that disconnect. And I think that's a good a good practice. Seems like it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what ministry is work? <laughs> well, but I mean, you know, spoken like a true pastor, he only works one hour a week, right? That's how that goes. Right? I try not even to do that, <laughs> you know. But but you know, there was there was a time, and I, I a very very good friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, you know, used used to always say that we fill ourselves up with all of the things that don't need to be a part of the church. And we devalue the very things that need to be a part of the church. And he said, you know, there was a time when Bible studies and small group this and small group that weren't a thing and that people didn't go home and have their Bibles that they could read on their nightstands and the devotions that they couldn't, they they just didn't have access to those things. But yet the church was fed continually through word and sacrament ministry on Mm -hmm. a, on a, on a weekly basis. Um, I guess, I guess my final question and I'm going to try to silence myself. <laughs> My final question is, in, in, in a congregation, and this is going to place you on a spot to place yourself outside of your big congregation. Yeah. In a congregation that is small, mm. rural congregation like ours, the majority of Wellsdom. Yeah. How do we keep, because uh, the pastor is probably the guy who's going to be doing the legwork on most of it. Yeah. How do we keep that focus of... um Word and sacrament ministry as the important, and I feed my, and I have to be a hundred percent prepared to feed my people, yeah, and focused on that, and yet implement some of these wonderful things in a way that's not going to kill us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't have a, you know, the perfect answer to this because I haven't. Well, since my internship, you know, we staff ministers, we get an internship, not a vicar year. What's the difference? I don't know. Um, <laughs> we call a vicar year internship. At least I did out west when people okay. are like, vicars, what's that? What's a vicar well, yeah. inter- right. Internship. Um, so during my internship, uh, I served in, in Sleepy Eye, town of 1,950 people. I'm pretty sure it's the same. I don't think that they change in population there. Um, and, you know, um, so that's my only experience in a smaller congregation and i know that when i was there uh my pastor uh had me make a point of visiting every family in the church and that was a lot of work but i've thought back on that experience and i've thought you know if ever i was in a smaller congregation where um, maybe i had you know um just a few hundred people that would be that would be the the start of that uh i would go to all of the families, and I would I would make it a rotation where I was just in their homes over and over again. So, when it comes to this this particular thing, you know, th- th- this is a an interesting way of looking at church. What you just said about you know we fill it up with so many things. I was talking with a very old man one time who had been in church leadership most of his life. He said uh, most of his adult life he was in church leadership. He was not a pastor; he was a lay person. But he said, you know, I've been in three different churches, and in every single one of them, we have had more than 100 programs. And he said, it was so draining for everybody to volunteer for all these things, and the pastor was always so overwhelmed. And he said, you know, I've come to this, he said, I've come to this idea, what if a church just focused on two things, worship and families? Just let the pastor focus on providing solid worship and then the rest of his week 
is only focused on go visit a few families every week, a few of the families of the congregation every week, and then prepare for the next weekend of worship and just keep doing that. And train those families to be in the word at home and be constantly visiting them and encouraging them to do it. He said, I've never seen a church do it. I wish someday a church would. And I've thought about that a lot. And I thought if I was in a church where where it was small enough that I could do that, I would make that my entire ministry, preparing for, for good worship and whatever role I'd be playing in that and visiting these families. And so if I had, you know, um, I've got a friend who's in a congregation. He's got maybe three, I think, confirmation st- catechism students. Boy, see, even I did it now. Um, catechism students right now. Um, he's got, you know, a few per year. Um, could he easily be in each of those families' homes on a every other week basis? Absolutely, he could. You know, and that would be a way to constantly be checking in with them, letting the parents do the work. Because, I mean, let's face it, no matter what, even if you have kids coming to you for an hour at church. Hour and a half. Oh, hour and a half. Wow. Okay, that's like 50% more than... <laughs> But even at that, right, how much, I mean, let's say you've got two hours, you know, um, you have them come twice a week or something. That's still, compared to the amount of time their parents spend with them, it's a drop in the bucket. So go and be with those families in their home. Um, help those parents be built up. Equip them, resource them, encourage them, and just keep doing that. Go over and over and over again to them. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have the families who are going to say, I had, a, I had a dad say to me a little while ago, we pay you to teach our kids. That's your job. Our job is to get them there. And I, Okay. That may be a difficult home to go walk into every other week and say, no, dad, it's your job. And maybe he won't even let me. But we all have to deal with those situations, right? The point is that um, if I could be doing that regularly, uh, I think there'd be, a, there'd be so much joy in that, right? So that's kind of the the way that I would apply this paradigm in that is well, I think that the was structure for, is there but for surprising yeah. you with that question I thought that was a pretty well thought out response. Thank you. So, I appreciate it. Yeah. If I could take you back in history uh, you said that uh, St. Paul's uh, St. John's and St. no St. Paul's and New Ulm. Yep. Uh, where they weren't ready yet for the parents to do all the teaching. What what did you do and what how far did you go? Yeah. So, um, interestingly enough, right about that point was when I got the call to St. Mark. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I left uh, Nate Scharf to else. go and figure that out. <laughs> and uh, he's still figuring that as far as I know. I don't know. Nate, if you're listening to this, you tell me. Maybe you can be the next guest here with sure. these guys <laughs> talking about what you're doing in New Ulm. No, um, uh, yeah. Honestly, we talked a lot about uh, just more ways of – of asking the parents to be engaged in specific tasks, um, some specific take-it-home things. One of the things that we were always doing was uh, rather than doing um, sermon summaries, kids were expected to, to, to pick up this thing we called a um, sermon discussion sheet, which was designed for at-home conversation. And they were supposed to take that, have it with them in church. There were some spaces to fill in blanks and stuff like that based on the sermon and then take it home. And they were supposed to have that conversation at home, write down their thoughts on the back or whatever. And then parents were supposed to sign it. And so that was one tool that was kind of like, okay, now parents you're involved in the weekly 
process of your kids reporting to us that, but that was, you know, that's kind of like sermon summaries are kind of a, uh, suspicious thing in my mind anyway, because it's kind of like in order to get past confirmation class, you have to be in church every week. <laughs> so we're going to give you this this uh, accountability tool. I don't know. Does that place a legalism? I'm not sure if you guys do sermons. We actually had that discussion in we, our Yeah, we had that discussion, yeah. So I, I do the sermon studies and I really like them, but it's more than just a sermon study. Yeah. It's more of a, a worship trying to train them as to when you go into worship, uh, pull stuff out of here for yourself and for your, for your yeah, friends. Yeah. Also, uh, a- opportunity for them, for me to see which which one of the hymns really spoke to them, because I would say, mm-hmm. what's your favorite hymn today? And they'd have to put something down sometimes. Obviously, they're going to just throw something out there. Yeah. And you go, okay, I know you just picked one. Uh, but then at the at the bottom of it was the prayer. Like, what do you want me as pastor to pray for? Or what do you, what do you want to pray for during the time of worship when there's silent prayer? So then they would write that in there. And so it was helpful to me to be able to get into their lives a little bit yeah. about what's going on, what's uh, what's what's the thing that they are struggling with. I get what you're saying about it sounds like it's a law that you have to do it. I don't require how many sermon studies. I just say every time you're in sure, worship, sure. fill one out so it's not a law thing. Uh, I don't use it as a, a, a meter to see whether their parents are in church because we have other metrics to figure out whether they're in worship okay. or not. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, once again, that was one of the things that we kind of uh, placed a little more emphasis on was to get, you know, more parent conversation going. Um, We had a couple of other things where, you know, take it home kind of assignments uh, in the catechism course. But uh, ultimately, you know, it it, it was kind of like a, a thing that I guess we made those decisions without putting a lot of teeth in them. It wasn't well, if the parents don't engage with this, what happens? Does the kid still get confirmed? Sure. So why do the parents need to do it? Well, other than just keep encouraging them, which, I mean, ultimately that's kind of where we're at with this at St. Mark in, in terms of the, the whole process of, of doing this. You know, it, catechesis is really important, but until the parents initiate the process or they're willing to engage in the process, you know, we invite them, but unless they're going to make a priority of it, is it going to happen? No. And am I you know, going to be able to go to every single one of those families that's not actively engaging in this and say, you know, now you guys got to do this. Well, what what am I going to do? I can't force them to do it. But that's not better than for me to say, okay, instead we're going to have them come into my, you know, into to church and I will teach them. So that, because then I'm just enabling the parents to, to continue to, you know, sort of shirk the duty that God has given them. And I don't want to do that. So the kids that are in your catechesis, uh, their oldest would be 18, 19, or do you just go right into Bible information course at that point? Yeah, um, we've had very few uh, situations where we've had kids that old who are still kind of going through stuff. And we've had a few families who have actually, they they said, you know, the the, the way that this is written, the process here is just not working for us. We're going to step back and kind of wait and then come back to us and say, can we just go through Bible information course with my child? And we say, yes, if, if, if you're going to do that, uh, you as a parent have to do it with them. You got to sit there with them. Um, and some parents have said, okay, we'll do that. But at that point, it's, I gotta say that, that has happened only a couple of times and that's kind of under the older system. And as we're working towards developing the new system, we haven't seen that happen yet. So I, I don't have an answer. I don't have a case study yet. So <clears throat> um, it would be interesting 
and I don't know if this is something that that St. Mark's would be willing to do, but it would be interesting to if they would be willing to disseminate to the brothers some of you know their curriculum and 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 because I'll be honest with you, you know, you 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 try to find curriculum options for um, any type of paradigm for catechism and for catechetical instruction. And it's always the same paradigm over and over and over. And we're in the process of trying to refocus our own catechesis and how we are doing this and and the things that we want to, the tools we want to give our kids. So it it would be interesting to me if, if St. Mark's would be willing to release their, you know, this is, this is what our curriculum is so that it can be a, either adapted or approached by the brothers mm-hmm. or other congregations, or, or at least said, you know, parts, parts of it we could use. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would be kind of an interesting thing to me. Well, our, our goal all along has not just been to keep this to ourselves, but to be a resource to our church body. Um, we definitely want to be a leader um, and say, hey, we're, we're, you know, we know that there, there's been a lot of people who are talking about this topic, okay? I mean, you guys had the podcast about it. There, are, This has been a conversation across our, our synod. Um, how do we do this better and what, you know, what are the, the, the challenges and is there a different model for how we do catechesis in general? And so we're saying, hey, we're going to take the bull by the horns. We're going to go and we're going to do that. And so absolutely, we want to make that stuff available. Um, we have some refining things we need to do with it. Um, this has been a work in progress. This has been kind of my labor of love for the last two years. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, I would say if I I'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so I probably will never get to the point where I'm like, yes, I like, I love it. <laughs> I'll always be like, oh, there's, it needs work. Um, but, uh, we're getting kind of close to the point where we could say, yeah, if somebody wants to get their hands on it, we're willing to have the conversation. How do we get, how do we, how do we help you get your hands on it? Um, it's not maybe just as simple as, as here's, you know, here's a USB stick because that, um, online module requires some work to transfer and to set up. And we have a guy in our congregation who actually works with the system. His job is to develop this for colleges. So, um, he's agreed that if a church wanted to get their hands on this stuff and wanted some training and all that stuff, you know, he wouldn't do it for free, but he would do it for a reasonable cost, um, and help you set up that whole system. So that's all stuff that, um, yeah, we were, we're happy to have that conversation. Oh, good. So how do they have this conversation with you, Brandon? Well, they could reach out to me at St. Mark. My email address is uh, brandon.steenbach, that's B-R-A-N-D-O-N dot S-T-E-E-N-B-O-C-K at stmarkministries.com. Or you can just go to stmarkministries.com and find me under the staff page. There you go. Any final thoughts from you? Uh, Final thoughts, confirmation, the heartburn or not? Right? This is a wonderful privilege and opportunity we have of, of, of sharing God's gift with God's people and for equipping our parents uh, and helping them to grow in their faith and their families. If we look at confirmation, we say, no longer let's stop talking about it in terms of confirmation, but more in t- terms of catechesis. How can we train our children, the next generation, the wonderful truths that we've been taught? 